All right, let's try this one more time. It's New Year's Eve, people. Anybody want to dance? We are what we're supposed to be. Illusions of your fantasy. All dots and lines that speak and say. What we do is what you wish to do. We are the Yesterday. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now I sound like a jerk This is actually the second attempt I am making at recording this episode. Uh, I came home last night and sat down and recorded the episode and got the music together and did all of that stuff. And I really wasn't happy with it. Uh, I'm rarely happy when I'm recording alone. Uh, because I just think that I ramble on and on and on and on and on, and, you know, I, I, I wonder why people like to listen to the show. But, you know, usually during editing, I'm like, well, it's not that bad. It's not good. It's not even anywhere near good. But, you know, it's not that bad, and I can I can send this out into the world, and people will listen to it and hopefully be entertained. But last night was kind of bad. Add on to the fact that halfway through editing the episode, Audacity just up and crashed, and I lost everything. And it says there's a way to recover files, but I was just tired and I was upset. I didn't want to have to figure it out and I wasn't all that happy to begin with. So I just said, screw it, went to bed. God, I just hope it works out better. Anyways, hey everybody, welcome back to the Views from the Long Box. I am your host, Michael Bailey, and this is episode 67 of the show for December 31st, 2008. And this is... My very first New Year's Eve episode. I, I didn't do one last year, and I, I, I frankly, I don't know why. Well, I know why. I think I know why. If I remember correctly, I just got busy, and I didn't have time to uh, put one out. You know, I had the Christmas episode, and then it kind of went right into January with my episode with Shag talking about uh, comic book films, So, which we actually recorded... Not on New Year, not on Christmas Eve, but like the day before Christmas Eve, really, really late at night. So by the time we were done, it was Christmas Eve, I think, if I'm remembering how that went. Maybe I should go back and listen to the episodes before I start talking about stuff like this. So, 
Anyways, this is the year-end blowout, as I am dubbing it, even though it's, it's not very exciting, because I'm not a big fan of New Year's Eve. I, I have no problems with it. It's not like some people who have like problems with Halloween for religious reasons, or people who have problems with Christmas because they find it a horrendously depressing time of year. It's just, New Year's Eve, to me, has always been the younger sibling of holidays that, you know, the parents love them and they care about them and they take care of them, but at the same time, the older sibling is always the preferred one. And it really is that way for the holiday season because when you think about it, after Thanksgiving, just about everybody is geared up for Christmas. And I say just about everybody because not everybody celebrates Christmas, but just about everybody I know celebrates the holidays in one form or another. So I'm going to be speaking in generalizations here. Anyways, everything is geared towards Christmas. I mean, every, you know, people are decorating, people are putting up trees, people are buying presents, people are planning meals, people are planning trips. And because of that, Christmas gets like all of this attention focused on it. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's it's like four weeks of controlled madness. And then it's over. And then there is a week between that and the next holiday, New Year's Eve. And it's just such a weird, gray area of time because you've, you've, you've excuse the expression, you've kind of blown your wad a lot on Christmas. And it's like, it takes, you know, it takes that entire week to get excited for New Year's Eve. It's not like, you know, on December 26th, everyone's like, great, now I'm ready for New Year's. Everyone's like, God, I ate too much, and I just want to get home, and i got to go back to work, and there's another holiday. It's like For me, it's been really weird because my work schedule has been so erratic. We usually get three days off in the week of holidays because we get holiday pay, so they figure, well, you just get an extra day off and we don't have to pay the extra money, which is fine. And I was having all of these days off, which were great, but it's just like, you know, go to work off, go to work off, go to work off, and then go to work, supposed to be off, work anyways, work the next day for 15 hours, and then you're off for two days. I mean, it's just it's just so strange. And I prefer kind of a low-key New Year's Eve anyways. I mean, last year, uh, my friends Ryan and Sharia came over and Rachel and I and Ryan and Sharia just ended up playing board games all night. It was really a lot of fun, and it's just like we look up and it's after midnight. It's like, because uh, you know, I'm going to be completely honest with you, I'm not a big party person. I don't like crowds. I'm not much one for crowds, which is why going to Dragon Con is kind of like my therapy for the year because it it teaches me to deal with crowds, and I don't deal with them very well. I get very frustrated very quickly. I just don't like going to parties where people are... Well, let me take that back. I like going to parties. I don't like going to parties where the main focus for most of the people there is to get as inebriated as humanly possible. Because I don't drink alcohol all that much. I think in the past three years, I can count on one hand the number of beers and mixed drinks I've had and, and, and maybe have a finger or two left over because I just don't do it. It's just not my nature. I have the alcohol tolerance of a five-year-old Amish girl. So, you know, it, that in and of itself makes drinking kind of a dubious prospect. And I just, you know, I like the buzz. 
you know, a really good beer buzz is nice, but it's just like, God, I don't want to experience that a lot, and I don't want to get loud, because I have absolutely no ability to control myself in the first place, and I can't think that alcohol removing what, you know, subtle barriers I've built in my head would do. It's just a bad idea. I do drink Sam's Cola, the official cola of Views from the Long Box, by the way. Ah, Sam's Choice. Nothing like cheap soda to get you through the day. Anyways, I was thirsty. Sorry. So it is December 31st, and it is a day traditionally set aside to not only drink and not only try to get a large amount of people in a small place all at once for one thing and then have them disperse, hopefully, you know, somewhat orderly, but it is a time of reflection. It's a time of looking back and making plans for the future, you know, and it's a time to ponder, really. And I, and I kind of dig that, because that's pretty much what I do all the time anyways, and this is like the one time of the year where no one looks at me sideways because of it. So so for this episode of Views, I decided that I was going to do just that. I was going to look back, and then I was going to kind of give you a couple hints as to what is to come for the show. And, you know, it's it's kind of weird because, you know, I actually... S- accomplished the goal I set for myself last year, and I hardly ever do that. I'm very bad at doing that. But, you know, at the beginning of last year, I decided that I wanted to have more people involved in the show, that I was going to, you know, contact people, contact other podcast hosts, contact other comic fans that I know, and try to get them onto the show like I have with Shag, because, you know, in all honesty, as much as I like doing these solo episodes, and I like to do at least two a month, because then, you know, the personality of the show comes out, I think, for me anyways. You know, it's it's my chance to have some fun by myself. But, you know, it's it's always better bouncing off of other people. It's always better, especially for the listener, to have another voice in there every once in a while, which is why I had Shag on once a month to begin with, and then, you know, it got kind of out of hand at the end of this year, but... But I really wanted to get more uh, guests on the show. And, you know, I I had a really good lineup. I mean, I had Brad back in February, you know, from the Spider-Man Crawl Space. You know, we did three episodes together, and that was a ball. I had my old editor from Silver Bullet Comic Books, Keith Dallas, on for two episodes so we could talk about the Flash Companion that was coming out at the time. One of my oldest and dearest friends, Ryan, came on the show for two episodes to sit there and insult Brian Michael Bendis as much as he humanly could. <laughs> you know, I had Shag on a lot. We did Bat Week together. That was a ball. And, you know, finally got Big Honkin', Steve. I just want to call him Big Honkin', but some of you are maybe new to the show may not know who Big Honkin' is. So Big Honkin' Steve from Geek Out Loud, the official podcast of Geek Out Online, and about a billion other podcasts, I think. Uh, you know, I, I mean, the guy does a lot of guest stints. It's just how it works out. <laughs> so on that front, I've been happy with the show. You know, I was kind of looking through the episodes because I didn't want to listen to all of them because I can't stand to hear myself talk that much. Editing these things is bad enough. But in all honesty, I was, you know, looking through it, I was like, God, I covered a lot of ground this year. I even had, uh, like, a pro on the show. And when I mean, when I say pro, I don't mean prostitute. I mean professional. Uh, sorry, I watch a lot of 
Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Anyways, I mean, I had Michael Yuri, who was a former editor at DC and Dark Horse, on the show back in June when I was, you know, recorded that when I was up in Metropolis. So, you know, as far as getting to do what I want to do with the show, I think 2008 was something of a success. And thanks to Brad, and thanks to Steve. The you know audience base grew a little bit, which made me extremely happy because you know I you know I was under the impression that you know five of my friends and a, maybe a handful of other people listened to the show and that was it. But turns out, hey, got a lot of people listening, so that's kind of awesome. I even have forums now. Isn't that great? Seriously, go over to the website viewsfromalongbox.com. There's a link on the side that said Official Views Forums, and I'll take you to the forums page. Register, talk, join the discussion. It's it's a lot of fun. And uh, I also got my own website this year. That was exciting. Viewsfromalongbox.com is an uh, honest-to-goodness URL, so I was pretty stoked about that. And then a couple months ago, Ryan, who was hosting the show through MediaGauntlet.com, was changing a bunch of stuff, and, you know renaming and reworking all the files would have been a lot of work so now i'm hosting it myself so really from the beginning to the year to the end you know i've gone through kind of a major shift as far as how much of this show is my ultimate responsibility so on that level because there's many levels you know i'm pretty i'm pretty satisfied too so i mean i can't really look at any show that i did in the past year and say that sucked. You know, I, I can look at a couple and say, man, I, I wish I was a little better there. I could have done a little more here. I wish I would have thought to say this. But, you know, I, I'm not going to go and George Lucas my own show. I'm not going to go back and uh, fix things, air quotes, you know, fix things that you know, that really don't need to be fixing because they're out there. The show is what it is. The final product is what I post. So, you know, I, I, I just, I'm not one of those people that's going to nitpick over it until the thing is just, you know, utterly repulsive to me and I can't even stand to look at it, because that's not fun. And that's what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be a lot of fun. On the flip side, I can't even really decide of an episode I liked the most, because I had so much fun doing just about all of them, you know, especially the ones where I was teaming up with Shag or Brad or Steve. I, I guess the one... That was more the most satisfying because I was able to pull it off was Bat Week, where I was able to do six episodes, one episode every day. And I, I don't know if people liked it. I mean, I know some people liked it. I don't know if it was a success. And and the thing I'm kind of worried about is is if you're like me, you don't go to your iTunes and update it every day. And so like a, like on Major Spoilers, which is a podcast I absolutely love. I updated it the other day, and I looked at the episode number, and I was like four behind, but I'm like, I know I did this last week, but they have been repla- you know, releasing little mini-episodes through the week, so I don't know if that's annoying to people. It's not annoying to me. I'm not complaining about major spoilers. Please don't take it like that, but at the same time, it's just I'm wondering if I'm losing people on that, but that's that's a question for another time. So really and truly... 2008 being the first official full year of views from a long box, to me, I think it goes in the win column. I, I can't think of any place where I seriously misstepped. Uh, like I said, a lot of places where it could have been done just a tad bit better. And when I say that, I mean there's a couple episodes I probably should have fully re-recorded. <laughs> but at the same time, eh, what are you going to do? 
So in keeping with the looking back at 2008, I actually sat down. I had to, because typing standing up is a pain in the ass. But I actually sat down, and I did something I've never done before. I came up with a best of 2008 list. Normally I don't do this type of thing because, frankly, I don't keep up with things over the course of the year. I don't keep notes. I should. I'm thinking about doing that for this year. But but I really don't, you know, stay abreast of all the situations and remember, okay, that came out in January, that came out in March, that came out in June, and, you know, be able to say, well, that was the best comic of that month, or this was the best comic of the year. You know, at this point, really, with with as little as I've been reading this year, it's it's kind of hard to, to say what's the best of, because I, I feel a little disingenuous, because I'm not covering comics as a whole. I'm covering my own personal opinions. And, you know, when I say, well, you know, like in a couple minutes, when I tell you, well, this was the best comic of the year, you're going to be like, well, well, didn't you read this? And, and chances are, I probably didn't. So, when I'm going through this list, I want you to keep in mind that it is my list. It is based upon my experiences from 2008 and my recollections of them. So, your opinion may vary, you know, as it usually does. You can argue with me all you want over the forums, like I just mentioned. So, let's get into it, because I'm trying to keep this episode a little shorter than last week, uh, since I did an hour and 45 minutes last week. Good God. (laughs) All right, here we go. Best comic book series. That would be... Action Comics, and it actually, the Superman family in general has been fairly outstanding this year. Even Supergirl picked up towards the end when Sterling Gates took over. And you may think that this is a situation where my Superman bias is coming in, but it's not. Because to me, 2007 just sucked as a year for Superman. It was just, it was terrible. It was awful. You know, it, it wasn't like completely bad. There were stories I liked. But there were also times where I was just beating my head against the wall because I was just so damn frustrated with all the delays and all of the creative shuffling and all of the, you know, horse trading when it came to where the story is going to appear. And Superman Confidential in general was frustrating because I had been waiting so long for a Legends of the Man of Steel type book. And this is what we got. And it was just, just, it was just terrible. And that's and maybe that's why 2008 was so good for it because it really you know it came out swinging, you know it it was it finished up the Superman and the Legion of Superheroes storyline. There was that Toy Man one shot which I absolutely loved. There was Brainiac which was awesome from beginning to end. Even though I had a few issues with how things played out, it was still a really solid story. Somewhere in there, you had that little one-shot with the Legion, which was great. And now you have New Krypton, which is doing what a good story really should do. And that's taking uh, characters down a road that they may never have gone down before. And maybe that's why I'm enjoying it so much. Okay, here's a good example. And this is a spoiler warning, so if you haven't read the past few issues of new Crypt- of the New Krypton storyline, just skip ahead a few seconds, because I'm going to give something away. But Kara's mother, Alora, being who she is, is such a 180-degree shift from how the character used to be. 
So it was just really fantastic to see that and to go, God, I don't like this character. I mean, how can she how can she allow people to die? How can she be so cavalier about the cops who tried to stop the Kryptonians getting killed? I mean, how could that be? And then you realize, well, that's her character. She's she doesn't give a crap about the Earth. She gives a crap about Candor because, you know, they've been trapped in Brainiac ship for decades. So so on the whole, Action Comics has been fantastic. Favorite series of the year. I could go on about my problems with Superman being taken out of the title, but uh, I've got a lot more to go through, and I'd probably spend the next 40 minutes railing about it. <laughs> so we're going to let that one go, but uh, I'll get into that at some point, I promise. Uh, because I think uh, Superman getting taken out of action and the whole trinity going away for a year thing is just a terrible 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 idea oh my god okay moving on best trade that i read essential punisher volume one i mentioned a few weeks ago in the punisher episode i did that i finally got to go through my essential punisher volume one and it was a ball it was a really great reading experience because unintentionally the trade formed an arc. You went from one place with the character to another. You saw a gradual evolution happen. And with, you know, like four or five or six different writers and a host of different artists doing that, I mean, that was that was very interesting to see because I'm sure when Jerry Conway wrote the character, you know, in, was that Amazing Spider-Man number 129? You know, I'm sure in his first appearance he had no idea what Len Wein was going to do with the character, what Marv Wolfman was going to do with the character, what Bill Mantlo did when he kind of mishandled the character, and finally what Stephen Grant did in the miniseries that was reprinted at the end of that trade. You know, But you see Frank Castle kind of not so much make peace with himself, but make peace with his place in the world. And, I, and because of that, this was about the best trade that I went through. And another reason why I like reading trades. I was having lunch with a friend the other day, and we were kind of having our round and round discussion about trades, because he doesn't like them, and I do. So, <laughs> But Essential Punisher Volume 1, good times, even though I read nearly half of it without glasses. So I guess you can take that for what it's worth. Best holy crap moment, or I guess I should say moments of the year, and that would be Walking Dead. Walking Dead is one of the few quote-unquote independent titles I read. I really hesitate to call Walking Dead an independent title with uh, how popular it is and the fact that it's published by Image, which is a major publisher. Sorry, it's not like slave labor graphics. You know, Image has been a powerhouse since 1992. I mean, sure, it doesn't have the influence it once did, but look how many titles are coming out of there on a monthly basis, and look how many top-selling titles are coming out of there on a monthly basis. But anyways, Walking Dead was the best comic I discovered in 2007. And I, I was reading it in trade paperback form, and when I got to the end of the last trade, I forget which volume it was, and I don't feel like going over to the shelf right now and f figuring it out, but when I got to the end of it, it was this great cliffhanger ending, and I'm like, I can wait for the trade. I can do that. <sighs> yep. I'm cool and calculating. 
it's going to wait for that trade. And the next week I bought the, the next, or uh, when it came out, I bought the next issue. So, <laughs> so from then on, you know, for the past year or so, I've been buying the book in single issue form and really enjoying it. And Kirkman did so much with the book this year. And again, I'm going to give out a spoiler warning because if you do follow this in the trade format, I'm going to give away a few things that have been happening in the past few months. So skip forward about a minute or two and you should be fine. But, you know, Kirkman killed over half the cast. I mean, he just he just completely obliterated them when the governor made his siege on the prison. And it was such a harrowing couple of issues. And when Rick's wife died, I was I was upset. When his wife and baby died, oh my god. Holy crap, what a wow, what what evidence that you're willing to do just about anything. I mean, he he hasn't killed Rick. He kinda made it seem like Rick was gonna die a couple of times. But he hasn't killed Rick. And I don't and since it's Rick's book, I think it would be really hard to kill Rick. But other than that, man, everybody's fair game in this. I mean, you know, it, it'd be kind of neat for him to continue doing it, and eventually the, the book becomes about his son. But that, that would be years and years and years in the future. I don't want to think about how long it would take to get around to that. But between the siege at the prison and, and the storyline we're in now, we had a couple of issues where... Rick and his son were just kind of on the run, and that heartbreaking scene of when he is talking to people on the phone. And I remember that reading that issue going, what's going on? How is the phone working? I figured that would be disabled. And then at the end, it's revealed that he's not talking on the phone. He's kind of hallucinating, and that he's talking to his wife. And it's just, you're like, oh, God, wow, oh, man. Oh, Joe, just pull at my heart. And then he realizes he's talking to his dead wife. He knows he's not really talking to his dead wife. But when him and his son leave that house, he takes the phone with him anyways. And it's just like, good God. I mean, just like everything about this series, even the introduction of the new characters, Abraham Ford, uh, Eugene Porter, and Rosita, it's just, it's just, this series just keeps getting better and better. So yeah, that's that's the best holy crap moments of the year. Best big budget uh, Marvel or DC crossover is going to go to Secret Invasion. And I know Final Crisis isn't over, and maybe it's unfair to judge the two side by side. But to me, looking at the first four issues, I haven't read issue five of Final Crisis yet. I know what happens, thanks to major, major spoilers. And I'm not complaining, I just was listening to the show, I knew what I was getting into. But... But, you know, Final Crisis isn't over, Secret Invasion is, but based on what I've read in Final Crisis, I don't care anymore. And Secret Invasion, even though I haven't finished reading it, so I guess it is kind of fair, seemed to be, to me, with what my experience with it is, the better of the crossover as a crossover. And that's kind of surprising, because up until a couple years ago, Marvel really sucked at big crossovers. They just did. You know, the, my favorite one of theirs after Secret Wars, if I'm going to just judge Marvel crossovers, uh, I haven't read Secret Wars 2, maybe I'd actually like it. But, um, you know, after that, the best one that wasn't part of their annuals, 
you know, like Atlantis Attacks or the Evolutionary War was Acts of Vengeance, and that wasn't organized at all. I mean, we're talking about a crossover that had its beginnings in Avengers Spotlight, a book nobody read. And I know that, because there's thousands of copies of it in the 50-cent dollar boxes at the various comic shops that I go to. So, so, but on, on the whole, and looking at everything in toto, Secret Invasion has it over Final Crisis in that it had a very set agenda. We didn't know what that agenda was at the beginning, but it had a very set agenda and it went for it. And Marvel in general has been doing that. With everything Marvel has been doing, you know, you know, the events are getting out of hand. There's too many of them. More and more people are feeling this way, but at least with Marvel, you know, they have uh, an evolution going on. Back in Civil War, they completely changed how their universe worked. And even through Planet Hulk, that was continuing to evolve. And in Secret Invasion, everything changed again. And it's kind of neat to see that, as opposed to DC, which has been treading the same themes over and over and over again. This is the worst day ever. Here is a year without Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. It's so repetitive that it just drives me insane. So, based on that, and knowing full well that some of the crossovers that happened from Secret Invasion sucked out loud, except New Avengers, Mighty Avengers, and Avengers the Initiative, I'm going to give Best Big Budget Crossover to Secret Invasion. Best comeback that got foobarred, and that would be Chuck Dixon on Robin. And if you don't know what foobar stands for... Um, watch the movie Tango and Cash. It's, it's really awesome. It's got Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. God, I love that movie. But it'll tell you what Fubard meant. So, But Chuck Dixon came back to Robin, and I was so excited. Oh, my. Chuck Dixon's Robin is one of my favorite comic books of all time. Period. End of list. Chuck Dixon is one of my favorite writers of all time. Period. End of list. And he came back to the character that he... He may not have created Tim Drake, but he formed my opinion on Tim Drake. He formed a lot of people's opinions on Tim Drake. So, seeing him come back to the title was so exciting. And then he was just gone. And, I, and I'm not really sure why. I mean, there's rumors that, you know, he didn't want to deal with the lesbian Batwoman, which I don't really buy. You know, there were rumors that, you know, everything happening with R.I.P. he wasn't on board with, so he left. I really don't know why. I don't care. What bothers me is that DC brought a great writer back to a character that he made such a mark on, and then it was just like, bah, we got our own thing, you know, you don't, you don't like it, go away. But it was just so disappointing because he brought Stephanie Brown back, which a lot of people had been clamoring for. He explained her coming back in a way that it made perfect sense to me. He explained, or rather pulled DC's ass out of the fire on why Stephanie Brown wasn't getting a glass case when they had been asked that again and again and again at convention after convention after convention, and just gone. Man, God, that's depressing. That's the you know I'll go for biggest disappointment of 2008 of Chuck Dixon off of Robin too so that 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 gets two um, best publisher overall and I'm sticking to the big two on this again because you know I I don't read a whole lot of other publishers with the exception of Image I know I should I just don't have the money anyways best publisher um, 
Marvel Comics again. And does this have a little bit to do with the fact that I'm annoyed with DC right now? Maybe. I mean, that, that could color it. But at the same time, like I was saying with Secret Invasion, Marvel has a game plan. Marvel has an idea of where they want to take their universe. And they're going for it. Do I agree with everything they're doing? Absolutely not. I don't. I just don't. I mean, everything with Amazing Spider-Man, despite the fact that I'm now reviewing that for the Spider-Man crawl space, I mean, have I enjoyed issues of Spider-Man? Yes, I've enjoyed many issues of Spider-Man. But the thing is, is that Brand New Day and One More Day were just so horribly handled, and it was just so rammed down our throats that it's a little annoying. But you know what? They haven't backed out yet. But they haven't. It wasn't like The Flash, where it started to not work out, so DC threw Danny Bilson and Paul DeMaio under a bus, you know, and killed a character, and then restarted it with Mark Wade, and that really didn't catch on quick. So now they're canceling it again and starting back over with Barry Allen, which I guarantee you is what those people wanted to do in the first place, but they just didn't have the guts. And that's the thing. Marvel is going for it. Marvel is aggressively going out and trying to get people to read their books. Yeah, their economic model's a little eh, because it, it really depends on you buying a large number of their books, but you know, I don't like it, but it, it's how they think they're going to make money. I think it's going to bite them in the ass, but they're going for it. I'll back a company that makes five bad decisions and sticks with it because this is our plan and eventually it's going to get to somewhere you may like as opposed to a company that has one or two really bad ideas and just keeps doing them over and over and over again. So, yeah, Marvel gets it on that one. Best turnaround would be Hulk. Um, really wasn't much on the Jeff Loeb Hulk when it first started. As, as my episode that I did with Big Honk and Steve... Uh, earlier in the month would attest, and and I hate the Red Hulk. I, I really don't like Rolk. It's a terrible idea. I hate the lack of reveal at the end of issue six. But you know the, the that that issue ended on such a high note that it completely turned around my entire perception of the series. And while the last couple of issues haven't really been doing too much for me, you know it's been a fun read. You know it's it's been you know half Red Hulk. Uh, but it's been a half Green Hulk, too, and it's kind of nice to see the Green Hulk tearing crap up again. So, yeah, best turnaround would definitely be the Hulk. Best comic book film? Going to completely waffle here on y'all, uh, because I chose Dark Knight and Iron Man. <laughs> I couldn't decide. I really couldn't. It's so depressing. It's so horrendous. Oh, I feel so bad. But, you know, they're, 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 no, no pun intended, they're two sides of the same coin. I mean, Dark Knight was this brooding, dark piece, and Iron Man was just so freaking fun. It's just like, wow, you know, back-to-back, -back, these make great viewing experiences. And Robert Downey Jr. was just so good in Iron Man. And Heath Ledger, oh, God. I know I don't have Dark Knight on DVD yet, but I want it. Not so much to see Batman, but just to see Heath Ledger as Joker, because he just knocked it out of the park with that one. So, yeah... Best comic films I saw, Dark Knight and Iron Man. Sorry. <laughs> Best animated release, JLA New Frontier. Oh my god, this was awesome. 
good god, top to bottom, a great movie. It was very close to the comic, but it was even closer in spirit. And I even liked the changes they made because for the movie, it worked out a lot better. Because, you know, reading the comic is a singular experience. And if you haven't read this series, pick it up. If you got the money, pick up the Absolute Edition. But all in all, just between the movie itself being so good, the voice acting being so good, and all of the special features on the double disc set, I just, the most satisfying DVD and most satisfying animated movie of the year, hands down. And finally, best action figure line, and we had a couple of them this year. You know, DC Direct is continuing to crank things out. Uh, you know, and DC's through Mattel has a whole new line of figures, and Marvel keeps doing stuff through Marvel Legends. But my favorite was the Hulk line that came out a couple months ago. God, man, it had the 70s era lightning bolt on his chest, Doc Sampson. That alone sold me on it. You also had Maestro, you had She-Hulk, you had several different variations in the Hulk himself, and you had Scar... Okay, we're going to overlook that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a pass because, you know, they're, they're trying to push Scar, Son of Hulk, which I think is a terrible freaking concept. But, yeah, but overall, I mean, the only thing I don't like about this line is that the build-a-figure is Fin Fang Foom. And to me, the Red Hulk would have been a better build-a-figure for here instead of the next Marvel Legends line because it's a Hulk figure. It makes more sense. I know Marvel was pushing that Hulk versus Fin Fang Foom special, which was really good. It was written by Peter David. Um, but still, uh, just not, not feeling Fin Fang Foom. I, I don't own this line. Uh, it is one of the few Marvel Legends lines that I want to own every single one in the series. Not to build Fin Fang Foom, just because I want all the figures. But uh, I can't afford it right now. So, very sad. But yes, best action figure line, Marvel Legends Hulk. And that pretty much wraps up the best of. I, I, I considered doing a worst of as well, but I was like, nah, I just want to kind of have fun. I want to think about all the things I hate, and I've mentioned enough things that bother me through the course of this anyway, so I think you get an idea. <laughs> so the question becomes, what is in store for you with Views from the Long Box for 2009? Well, I don't have... A whole lot of things mapped out, because I like to keep things kind of open so that when my attention span of a ferret on a double espresso kicks in, and I'm like, ooh, shiny, I could change plans if I really want to. But one of the things that's going to be kind of an overarching uh, theme throughout the year is Marvel Comics at 70. Marvel is turning 70 this year if you count it from Marvel Comics number 1 back in 1939, which was the first appearance of the Human Torch, and I think the second appearance of the Submariner. Anyways, and I want to celebrate it because Marvel wants to celebrate it. I mean, again, is this because DC hasn't been my cup of tea lately? Eh, possible. But still, there's a lot to go through, and Marvel is making an effort to celebrate it. I mean, if you look at the previews, they have that little Marvel at 70 logo, which kind of has a little old-school Marvel Comics uh, logo on it, which I like so much. And they're, they're actually releasing things to kind of celebrate their history, like the Marvel Index is coming out, I think, starting this month. Yeah, starting January. So there's going to be a lot of Marvel content to kind of reflect that, because I do like Marvel. And last year, 
DC, you know, had a chance to really do some stuff for Superman's 70th birthday, and they didn't do Jack because oh, we we don't we don't want to think about that. We just want to move forward. No, jackasses, you have a character that is 70 years old. You should you should celebrate that. Maybe you want to wait till the 75th anniversary. I don't care. The fans wanted it. You would have made money. So, grr. So you know if this if Marvel wants to make Mary. Mary Marvel Marching Society. That kind of works. But if Marvel wants to make Mary because of their, you know, they're turning 70, then I'm getting behind that too. So we got that. Another thing, and this just came up over the last few days when I got the little piece in the mail. For those of you who have been with the show since the beginning and those of you who have listened to the show and gone back and listened to old episodes and stuff, some of you may remember that last year... I let my contract as a DC fan lapse because I was just kind of unhappy and things really haven't improved and I haven't really wanted to sign a new one. So I made a run at becoming an official Marvel zombie. And it didn't work out. I mean, I really tried to make a go of it. I, I tried getting the show involved, but it just wasn't wor- it just wasn't working the way I wanted to. And it all came down to the fact that I have a contract as a Superman fan, a lifelong Superman fan. I can't get out of it. And the people I was talking to at Marvel, I mean, they were very nice about it, but but they were, you know, it came down to, look, your favorite character is published by DC, and as an official Marvel zombie, we can't have that. But I got a letter in the mail the other day, and eventually I'll get that scanned so you can see what it looks like, that basically said, because of them turning 70 there's been a restructuring of the department that handles people becoming official Marvel zombies. And it's become more of a club than just, you know, like an army, I guess you could say. So they've given me another chance because I applied last year, and I'm sure other people who applied are getting the exact same chance, so I'm not special. But they're giving me another chance to do it, uh, they, you know, made specific mention of the Superman clause. They don't have a problem with that as long as it does not interfere with my duties as an official Marvel zombie, whatever that might be. So basically, as long as there's no conflict, there's no conflict. And there's even different levels of being a Marvel zombie now, which was kind of neat. It's kind of like a college program where you major in one area and can minor, you know, both air quotes, of course, in others. So I decided to take on the challenge, once again, of becoming an official Marvel zombie, and I am going to focus on the Jim Shooter Tom DeFalco eras, which takes me from, like, 1978 to 1994, and I'm debating whether or not I want to minor in current events, so... I don't know exactly what that's going to entail. I only just sent in my response saying that I was interested. So once I hear more, you will too. And I'm hoping to use the show to make this happen. I'm hoping that views from a long box can be kind of like a vehicle for me to get to where I want to go here. You know, like I said, it didn't quite work out last year. But this year, with your help even, I, I think I can do it. Uh, what else for 2009? Uh, of course, more with Shag, more with Brad and Big Honkin. People are apparently asking for us to do another big, huge show together, so that's kind of cool. Um, if I can get some ducks in a row financially, I want to do some professional interviews. Uh, not as in I am a professional interviewer, but to get some writers and artists and editors and other comic book people on the show. Um, somebody mentioned uh, about a month and a half ago a call-in show. 
Again, I'm trying to get my ducks in a row on that because I, I want Shag to be a part of it since he's my semi-regular co-host. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to try to do that. And most of all, I just want to have fun. And I want you to have fun as well. And if you think that the show is getting boring or if you're just not having a good time anymore, just tell me. And if it's something that I agree with, I will definitely do my best to kind of make a course correction there. And that's it for the Views from the Long Box year-end blowout. Uh, before I do the final wrap-up, I do want to take a minute or two to say uh, thank you. Uh, I really want to thank you as my audience for every week coming back and listening and for all the support that you've given the show through emails and on the new forums, which have been, you know, rather active, a lot more active than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just going to be me making posts and people ignoring it. But with all of the people I have talked to, with all the people that have emailed me, uh, you know, with all the people that I've quote-unquote talked to on the forums, I get the sense that there are people who like the show, and I really, really appreciate that. I appreciate you taking your time, to listen to this show. There are a lot of podcasts out there. There are a lot of podcasts that are better than mine. And you still come back and listen to this one. So thank you from the very bottom of my heart for doing that. And I hope I can live up to your expectations. So thanks, guys. It really means a lot. Anyways, enough kissing your ass. Uh, <laughs> you can always check out the homepage for the show at www.viewsfromalongbox.com. There you can find the RSS feed. You can find the iTunes link. I actually have more episodes on the new iTunes link. I'm really excited about that. Uh, as of this recording, uh, I am current up to episode 32. So that was like 12 or 15 episodes over the holiday period that I got up there. And now that I... You know, didn't mess up the XML code. You can actually download them, so that's exciting. There is also a link to the forums, so go over there, register, and enter the frivolity that is the Views from Longbox section of the Geek Out Loud forums. I also have a blog at FortressOfBailey2.com, which hopefully after the beginning of the year I'll get active on again. I've been taking some time off to get some other things accomplished. Uh, I may have to do that again because I have an article coming up that I have to get finished. But uh, you can find that at FortressOfBailey2.com. Shag, my semi-regular co-host that I mention a lot in this episode, has a blog at OnceUponAGeek.com. He is good at keeping up a regular schedule, so go check out OnceUponAGeek.com. And once again, thank you for listening this past year. Got a lot of stuff uh, planned for 2009. I hope it all comes off the way I want it to. And you guys are the greatest. Views from the Long Box is a fortress of Bailey Tude production. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'll see you next week. <laughs>